We're so glad that you're taking time to listen to this week's message from Bethel Worship Center. Uh, We pray that it blesses you wherever you are in your faith journey. Uh, We do want to let you know that we are open. Our campus is open. Uh, We invite you to go to bwccamden.com. You can find out everything that we're offering right now at this time and in this season. So make sure to, to, to go there and find the ways that you can stay up to date with everything happening at Bethel Worship Center. But again, Uh, Wherever you are in your faith journey, whether you are uh, exploring more about faith, learning who Jesus is, learning about God, uh, you're new in your walk with Jesus Christ, or you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, we pray that today's message blesses you, it encourages you, it equips you. So God bless you. Thank you again for taking part. Just one quick moment. I want to read this passage of scripture to start us off today while you're still standing with me, just for a quick moment. It's from John 11. It says this, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother was Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus with this statement. And they said this, Lord, the one you love is sick. I just want you to let those words just resonate in your heart right now, this morning, in this moment. That Mary and Martha said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I want you to think about it today. No matter the condition of your life right now, you can look at Jesus and you can say, Jesus, I know that you love me. Because you are one that Jesus loves. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time of worship to prepare our hearts today to receive from your word. And I pray that we we do receive, that we are encouraged today that we're equipped today, Father, that after we receive this word, that it, that, it, that, it, that it works in us and that we take this word today and we walk in it in the coming weeks and days and months and years of our life. And we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we look at, uh, in the last three weeks, we've, uh, we were in, that ser- in a series, Ready, Set, and we talked about what it meant for us to be ready, to be set, to go when God calls us to do whatever he calls us to do. And we looked at those things and we, we saw, I think, some principles and some things within the early church that hopefully you heard me say, and maybe it jogged your memory on something that I said on July 25th in our installation service um, for, for me as coming into this role as the pastor. But, and we mentioned it again last week. And we said when we were looking in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to to, to 46, we were saying that there were some things in there that we saw the early church doing. We saw them loving together. We saw them growing together. We saw them serving together. We saw them worshiping together, giving together, sharing their hope together. And maybe that, maybe that caught your attention and you realized, wait a minute, but I, I get it. We're human. I don't remember everything that said either. And you said, didn't Javen say something like that about Bethel? And I did. Because I believe that as Bethel as a church, this has been who we are for quite a long time. And 
I express that I believe these things are really kind of the core values of who we are as a church. And so starting today, I want to kind of unpack these values of who we are at our core and, and, and who we are, that Bethel is a place that, that we want to grow together with hunger. We want to worship with wonder. We want to serve with selflessness. We want to give with joy, and we want to share hope with humility. And today I want to start by looking at the fact that we want to be a place, that Bethel is a place that should be a church and a body of people that loves with no conditions. And I want us to, to look at that a little bit this morning. And, you know, think about what does it mean for you to be loved? What does it mean for you to know that someone loves you? How do you know someone loves you? For, for you know, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book. Maybe you've read that book. If your marriage, you've been through that, The Five Love Languages. And he explores, you know, what, how your partner may feel that they are loved, your spouse may feel that they are loved. I don't know why he had to include the one about gift giving. You know, why, why I put that one in there? there? You know you're loved when you get gifts, you know. Thanks, Dr. Chapman. Yeah, but any, no, don't read into that. My wife's not like, my, that's not my wife's love language. But, but, um, but maybe, maybe you feel loved when, when you are appreciated, when someone considers your desires over their own desires, when someone takes time to be with you. Maybe you're, you're, you feel loved when someone looks past your mistakes and they forgive you, right? Maybe you feel loved when someone notices that thing that you've done and they, they let you know they've noticed that you've done it and they appreciate you for what you've done, right? The fact of the matter is that we all have in us a desire to at some point in time feel or know that someone loves us, right? And, and we have that desire because God has created that desire and put it within us. That There is a desire to be loved. Now, this note that Mary and Martha sin when Lazarus is sick is a very interesting note to me. All we see is that they simply say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, maybe they wrote more and we just, John just didn't feel the need to put it in there that they wrote more, but I have a hunch that maybe they, they knew and realized that's all they needed to say. That Lord, the one you love is sick. And, and it's interesting to me too, that they don't say, Lord, Lazarus, who loves you so much is sick. They point out, Lord, Jesus, the one you love is sick because they knew Jesus loved them. You notice in John's writing, he said that, that, uh, that this Mary was the same Mary that poured her perfume on the feet of Jesus. If you know that story, if you remember that story, Mary, Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee and Mary comes in and she breaks a bottle of very expensive perfume. She washes the feet of Jesus with it, weeping and crying. And the Pharisees sitting back there thinking, if Jesus only knew who this woman was, he wouldn't be letting her do that. And Jesus, reading the thoughts of this Pharisee, says, you know, the one whose many sins have been forgiven knows how to love and worship and appreciate. But the one who thinks they're so good and don't need to be forgiven, and that's my paraphrase, misses what it means to worship. But see, Mary 
Martha, Lazarus, they were drawn to Jesus because they knew he loved them. His love drew them to him. And they were impacted by that love. This is where they learned to love. They learned to love because of Jesus's love. In fact, John would write these words, not in his gospel, but in the first of three letters that he wrote. And we see it in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He writes these words and he says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's love. This is how we know what love is. This is how we learn to love by understanding that love. Think about it. The reason we often give love or sometimes the reason we give love is to get love in return. We want to feel love back when we show love, but, but that's because that love is conditional. But then Jesus comes to this earth and what we see from the gospels and what we see from those that followed him and his teachings is that Jesus loved in a way that was unworldly. He loved in a way that was way beyond anything that we could comprehend as love. Jesus demonstrated a love that was amazingly different. His love was not conditioned upon anything. He just loved. In fact, he was defined. John would define him as love. God is love. Now, I don't know about you, but there might be some people that I can think of that express a lot of love and they're a loving person, but I don't know if there's any one in particular person that I could define as love. But God is love, John says. See, the love that Jesus gave, the love of God is not just the love that's expressed. He is love. And it's unconditional. And so we wonder, what is unconditional love? Well, unconditional love is a love that's given that doesn't need any reciprocation whatsoever. It's a love regardless. It's a love that is persistent. It's a love that's relentless, but it's also a love that is patient. It's a love that, 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 that will remain. And this is God. This is who he is. This is his love. This is the love that God demonstrated for us. So this means our mind should be completely focused on the love of God. Because when we focus our mind on God's love and who he is and his love in us, then one, we understand who we are to him. And it, 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 it changes our relationship to him. We understand that he loves us unconditionally, even when we mess up. But it also teaches us to love. And it shows us how to love. This is why Paul wrote these words. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, you can go there with me as well. But if it, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. And he's talking to a lot of Gentiles, people who obviously we're not Jew and didn't come from the Jewish upbringing and Jewish background. And he says in Ephesians chapter three, starting at verse four, he says, in reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it's been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, 
members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And then we jump down to verse 14. And then we start to hear some words that, if you've been in church, any in your life, are probably familiar to you. And he writes these and he says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. He says, I pray. This is what I pray. And and I pray this for you. He says, From his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in his what? Love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, because see, it's hard to understand this love, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Now, especially those last two verses, we get to that and we say, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. It's God who can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that I can think or imagine. And oftentimes we grab that verse and we take it and we proclaim that verse for what? For ourselves, right? And that's okay because God wants to bless us. God wants to do things for us. But in the context of this letter, I don't know that that's the sole comprehension of that verse. Because what Paul is saying is he wants them to understand a group of Gentiles who were brought into the kingdom of God through what Jesus Christ did, who now can have the same relationship that the Jews have with God. And these two groups of people, these nations, these groups of people who don't normally get together, if you were here last week, we talked about that a little bit, can now come together united under this hard-to-understand love of God. And then when we begin to grasp grasp the depth of this love of God, this love begins to work through us and his Holy Spirit begins to work through us and then all glory goes to Jesus. So what Paul is saying is that the more we grasp of the love of God, the more that love begins to permeate through us in our life into the world around us. And then he will be able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we can think or imagine through the church that he is united by his love. So how do we know this love? When we get to know Jesus, that's how we know the love. We dive more and more into who Jesus is. Paul wrote in his letter to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we hear it at every wedding, you see it in every Valentine card almost, that this definition of love that Paul wrote, And Paul is writing what love is because he understood and knew who Jesus was. He is defining the love of Jesus that we all should operate in together. Jesus' love is a love with no conditions. Think about this. When John the Baptist introduced Jesus, it says that the scripture tells us that John the Baptist was out on the hillside. He was teaching and all of Judea was around him and they were listening. And then as John the Baptist was teaching one day, Jesus, it was his time. It was his time to make his presence known and begin to walk this earth and teach. And so John the Baptist sees him coming over the hill. And John the Baptist looks at him and he says, look, 
Or maybe the translation you might know. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the what? Does anybody know? World. But think about who he's talking to. And think about what they did to atone for their sins. It was Jews. They would make sacrifices every year, once a year, to atone for the sins of their nation, the nation that God had made a covenant with. But John the Baptist looks out at them and he doesn't say, behold, look, the Lamb of God who's come to take our sins away. The Lamb of God that's come to take away the sins of the Jews. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God that's come to take away the sins of the world. Everybody. Even that person that you walk across the street from to avoid. He's come to take their sins. And bring them into relationship with him as well. And John would write in his gospel, very famous verse. You know this one, I'm pretty sure. In fact, a guy used to, they don't do it anymore, but they used to stand at NFL games and they would hold a sign with this verse on it. Everybody's seen it, John 3, 16. Even people who don't go to church, most, for the most part, especially here in the South, we, they know this verse. For God so loved the world, right? That's how it starts. It doesn't say that, Because the world was so in love with God that he sent Jesus, it says that God so loved the world that then Jesus came. And it's not a literal translation, but I think it's fair to say that that God was so obsessed, he was so in love with the people that he created in all of the world, even the world, which is oftentimes used to describe a corrupt group, even those who weren't, had no desire to be in relationship with him, even those who the original covenant weren't with, God loved the whole. And he loved them so much. Jesus loved us so much that, that he came onto this earth, became man like us, walked the earth, and then gave his life. For us, But then this is the part that is really kind of tricky to understand when, when you're thinking about what love is. Because he said he did it for whosoever. Whoever. Now we read that and we say that, right, that means that it's for everyone. But think about it. For whoever. Have you ever thought of it in that way? Because Jesus came and gave his life for just whoever would accept it. Because obviously there are those that don't accept it and don't want it. But he still gave his life for them. He gave his life for whoever. When you give a gift, you're hoping that gift's going to be appreciated, right? When you give somebody something, you're hoping they're going to enjoy it. Some of you probably, you're, you're the type of person that come birthdays and Christmas, you're thinking deep about that person. You're trying to get that inner thing about them. And so that when you give them a gift, it's not something they ask for, but it's something that just like, how did you know? You know, that kind of thing. You're that person. And you know, when they do that, you're like, oh yeah, I did it. Right. Because you want a person to, and, and when they don't show any sign of appreciation for it, or they don't act like they like it, or you don't ever see them wearing it, if it's a clothing apparel or something like that, you're like, what, you didn't like what I got you? Not, it wasn't good enough? Oh, okay, all right. right? But it's, the scripture tells us that Jesus came and he gave his life for just whoever. 
would accept what he did. It's a love that's not looking to be reciprocated. It's a type of love that doesn't make sense. But, but God is not a God that's supposed to make sense. If anyone ever says that they completely understand God, I don't know if, they're under, if, if what they think they're understanding is God. And then Paul says that there is a part of the mystery of God. He's not proclaiming to know every aspect of God, but he's saying there's a mystery to God that he has revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And that is this mystery, this hard to understand truth that he loves everybody with no condition. Maybe, maybe you've heard this story before. There, it's got, in, in the gospel of Luke, Luke talks about this. He talks about these 10 lepers, 10 guys had leprosy. And if you had leprosy, you were considered unclean. Don't get around anyone with leprosy. You can't be around anybody. You are pushed out away from everybody. And, and, uh, and when you come into a city, you're supposed to announce, unclean, unclean, look at me, I'm unclean. You know, it's that kind of, it's horrible. But Jesus has these 10 lepers come, or he comes across these 10 lepers, and he tells them what they need to do to be healed. And they go do it. And then Luke tells us that of the 10, only one comes back. And says, thank you for what you did. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus knows all. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus did that knowing that only one of the ten would come back. That nine of the ten would be ungrateful. That nine of the ten would think they deserve the healing regardless. So think about it. You've got ten people standing in front of you. You have an opportunity to transform their life in a way that is remarkable. The way their life has never been transformed before. Open up new doors for them in their life. And you know that of those 10 people, only one of them is going to come back and thank you for doing what you did for them. Would you still do for the other nine? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If I knew that in my flesh, in my humanity, I would like to think as a follower of Christ, I would say, yes, I am holy. I am going to bless every ten of them. But in my mind, if I know those nine are going to be ungrateful, think they deserved it and entitled to it, I'd be prone to look at them and say, y'all nine can get to stepping. <laughs> now you, let's go do something to change your life forever. But that's the love that's, that's in us naturally. Because a love to just do for someone with no conditions, no regard, not looking for anything in return, that's amazing. But that was the love of Jesus. It is quite possible that Jesus healed hands that would still hurt. Jesus healed eyes that would still lust. He healed feet and lame limbs that would possibly turn and walk away from him. Have you ever considered that? Jesus loved unconditionally, but that's the the goodness and the great love of God that he, he loves us so much that our past doesn't affect how he loves us but our future decisions do not affect how he loves us either. 
That is the goodness of the love of God. He loved everyone. And then Jesus, the, 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 the Pharisees, teachers of law, they're trying to trick him. And we see in the gospels where they ask him, Jesus, why don't you tell us what the law is? Some of the law for us. And Jesus, glad you asked. It's this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your street. That's, that's the greatest commandment. And then he says, and the second, he didn't say the second is this. The second one is this, or the lesser important one is this. He said, the second is equal to it. Just as important to loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength is to do this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, of course, they thought, okay, we got him now. So then they asked that question. Well, define your neighbor. Well, I'll just let you go read that and and see that story. Just look up the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it before. It means love the ones, even the ones that you don't typically want to love, that aren't natural for you to love. Because Jesus loved everyone. And he called us to this love because he looked at his disciples and he said, a new command I give you, love one another, love each other in the same way that I, in the same way that I have loved you. And real quick, Paul, John would write this too in his letter back in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. I just want us to hear what he says. Verse 1, he says, My dear children, I, I, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we've, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for also for the sins of the whole world. So again, he's reiterating. He just wants to make sure they understand and know it's not just for you. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Whose commands? Jesus commands. The man who says, I know him, Jesus, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And what did Jesus command? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the new command I give you, love one another in the same way that I love you. And then he says, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard, but I'm writing you a new command. In other words, everything that we've been taught has just been wrapped up in a new way. And its truth is seen in him, in Jesus and you, because the darkness is passing and true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. You see what John is telling them? Because this is what John has learned from Jesus Christ that we are called to love. Now you may have a translation that says that to love your fellow believer. And that is true too. But God's love isn't limited to just those within the family of God. We have to start there because if we can't love each other, then how in the world can we love those beyond? But we're called to love everyone. 
And John is making this statement basically in the letter saying that if you mistreat anyone that God has shown his love for and sacrificed his life for, then you are mistreating God. And he gets that from the very teaching of Jesus. You can see it in Matthew chapter 25 when Jesus told them, if you, when I was naked and you gave me clothes, when I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, when I was in prison and you, you came and visited me. If you, they, and they said, when did we do that to you? And he said, if you did it to any of the other the least of these brothers, the ones that you don't want to love, then you've done it to me. So love unconditionally. Our relationship with others, the way we interact with others, every situation we're in with any relationship we have in our life, we look at those situations. And Andy Stanley, I heard him sum it up with this phrase, this question, and I thought it was perfect. It was, it was beautiful. And the question is simply this. In every situation we're in with relationships, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? Do I not lie to someone because a command tells me not to lie to someone? Or do I not lie to someone because I love them too much to lie to them and mislead them? Do I not commit adultery on my spouse because a command tells me don't commit adultery on my spouse? Or because I love my spouse so much, I don't want to hurt them by doing that. Do I not steal because of command or do I... not still because I love the person. Do I, do, do I give? Do I, am I generous because the Bible says we should give to others? Or do I do it because love teaches me to help those when I can? See, if we think long and hard enough, we can probably figure out what love requires of us in any situation. Pastor Derwin Gray made this statement, very simple statement. Love is a commitment to the betterment of another person. And this will often require sacrifice. I started thinking as as I was getting ready for today, what really keeps us from loving someone? And we're almost done. But what really keeps us from loving someone? Is is it really, is it hate that's in us? That's that's been put in us, that grows in us? Or is it fear? Is fear what's really keeping us from the ability to love somebody? Because think about it. Fear often disconnects us from people. We're, we're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid that we're going to be mistreated by them. We're, we're afraid we're going to get hurt. We're afraid of becoming vulnerable. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being manipulated. Because of the things they say, we, 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 we have this defensiveness that comes up. So we're afraid of the attack that's coming for them. So rather than love, we've got to protect. We've got to guard. We've got to defend. Maybe we're afraid of being wrong. So I'm not going to show any love to this person because I might find out I'm wrong and I'm afraid of being wrong. And I started thinking, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, what did Paul write to Timothy? He said, God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. But of power, love, and self-discipline. And, and in one of his other verses, he says, Perfect love drives out fear. And then I started looking at other translations of that verse. And this is from the Living Bible. It says, for the Holy Spirit, God's gift does not want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise and strong and to love them and enjoy being with them. We can't let fear keep us from loving others. See, I think if we have hate towards a group, we need to ask the question, what am I afraid of with that person? 
What am I afraid of about that group of people that causes me to hate them so much? Because once we begin to let the perfect love of God overwhelm that fear, I think we might begin to see those people it's hard for us to love differently. Paul said this in Romans chapter eight. He said that we have not been given a spirit of bondage that that is a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of adoption. And we were able to cry out, Abba, Father, that he is our God. He is our daddy. He's our, he, so, so we don't have the spirit of bondage, the spirit of fear. In other words, we're not a, a, we don't have the spirit in us that causes us to, to be afraid, that, that causes us to be bound to certain ways in our life and, and certain things. No, we've been given a spirit of, of adoption that says, I belong. But if I also have the spirit of adoption on me, it also says, I bring in. Because when someone adopts, what do they do? They adopt someone who has typically been unloved. They adopt someone that's typically been discarded. They adopt someone that's typically been set to the side. They bring them in and they love them. We've been given a spirit of adoption that says that we walk this earth looking for ways that we can love other people. See, love may require something of us, but the change that that love that we show can bring is amazing as well. Stay with me this morning. We go back to this uh, passage of scripture from the beginning with Lazarus. Everything happening with Lazarus is a, it's a picture of the gospel. Because just like Lazarus, the world was and is sick. It's, it's on death's doorbed, door, doorstep. As Paul would say, we are dead in our sin. But Jesus moves in and brings life to the death of sin. And that's the unconditional love of God. That's the gospel. And that's what he's called us to. A love that comes in and brings life in the middle of death. A love that can bring change. A love that can lead us to be catalysts for transformation. Because if we don't learn to love in that way, we're really undermining the great commission that he's called us to. We've been called to love with no conditions. And I pray that as we grow together in Christ, that we become more and more of a body of people that have this love in our life. Father, I just thank you for this day, for this moment, for this time. Father, I pray your word would just move in our heart. God, teach us to love like you loved. I'll be the first to admit it is hard. It's hard for me to love everybody. People can be difficult to love. But God, I know that I can be difficult to love. But that didn't stop you from loving me. Father, I thank you for that. And I pray that we can learn to love in the same way that you did, in the same way that you do. God, teach us. Help us to see If there's fear that's in us that's keeping us from loving someone, God, show us what we're afraid of. And I pray that your perfect love would drive that fear out of our life. 
Father, we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to request prayer or send us anything that you would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803 803- Six seven six seven five six six, and we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.